those connections, like I knew how important it was to just be in the same place as people who understood on a level, like, yeah, your friends and family can be there for you and be a great support system, but like, they're not walking exactly in your shoes. Um, and that's just reality. Hi, I'm Dante and welcome to Parenting Special Needs Live. Do you share about your child with special needs on social media? Well, today we're talking with Beth Leipold, who's known for her social media presence, and she's the hearing mother of a deaf child. Beth has a passion for inclusion, and she's written books that aim to create a more accepting and accessible world for our children. And today I've asked her here to talk with us about, you know, why she started sharing, what the early days after her son Coop's diagnosis were like, and what gave her hope. So please help me in welcoming Beth to our show. Welcome, Beth. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to kind of dive into this a little bit. Yeah. So why don't we just start? Um, why don't you tell us about, you know, uh, what were the early days after your son's diagnosis? And I no, um, it's actually kind of funny. Today is actually three years since we got his diagnosis. So it's like, it's always a little bit of an emotional day. And yeah, it's kind of cool that we're doing this. Um, but yeah, so he, when he was born, he didn't pass his newborn screening right away, um, his hearing screening and didn't think a ton of it. It's not that abnormal. Um, but kind of in the process, we came across, um, something called Wardenburg syndrome. He was born with a big swash of white hair, which is actually a pretty big indicator of Wardenburg syndrome. And as I started kind of researching, um, I found out that being deaf or having any, you know, degree of hearing loss can go hand in hand with it. Um, and so as we were kind of figuring out more about that, it was like, he just kind of met all the criteria. And so we got him back in pretty quickly. Cause I didn't really want to waste any time. Um, and we got his official diagnosis that he was profoundly deaf, both ears, um, when he was about six weeks old. So October, um, 18th of 2019. Wow. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was a little bit it's kind of blurry. Like I, I think anybody can kind of relate to that when you get some information that's life-changing and that you have to process, but also like take action on. Um, and it was, it was hard. I spent those first couple of days really just crying. Honestly, I was sad. I was scared. I was not sure what his life was going to look like. Um, and I think, you know, having the time to kind of wallow for lack of a better word <laughs> was important. Um, but kind of the way that I've always approached big changes in life or things that I know I need to figure out, um, is that, you know, having that time to kind of cry and be sad and then sort of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and diving into like the research side and figuring out like what we need to do, um, more from the standpoint of like, it felt, felt like I had some level of control that way to be able to make a plan and be like, okay, these are the appointments. These are the, you know, steps, these are our options. Um, and so I think that was when the, you know, the ball really got rolling and kind of the acceptance started to set in a little bit. Um, and you know, that's not been a linear process by any means. It's not like I was sad and then I accepted it. Like there's right. been a lot in between. Um, but I think, I think most parents can probably relate to that. Yeah. So is that what gave you hope? It's been, um, big on just connecting with people who like have gone through similar things. Um, I guess you know, another example is I've been sober almost 10 years and like just finding those connections. Like I knew how important it was to just be in the same place as people who understood on a level, like, yeah, your friends and family can be there for you and be a great support system. But like, 
they're not walking exactly in your shoes. Um, and that's just reality. Um, and so I immediately started like following, um, a bunch of, you know, parents of kids with cochlear implants on Instagram. And I don't think I had TikTok yet, but mainly Instagram and Facebook, um, and reading their stories, um, kind of seeing where they started, where they were now. And that gave me a lot of hope to kind of be like, Oh, like that's a perfectly typical three-year-old for the most part. Like you wouldn't, you know, there's, there's a lot that has happened in between, but it made it less scary. Um, and so that was, that was really big for me. And then I had a friend back home, um, who had reached out and said, I actually know a parent of a four-year-old with cochlear implants from, you know, our hometown would love to connect you. Um, and so we connected and actually went out to dinner and that was, um, that was, that was kind of a crazy experience. Cause I had actually like four or four or five days earlier been at our clinic in my hometown and had seen a little boy with cochlear implants in front of me, which I I don't know if I just wouldn't have noticed before, or if I just honestly hadn't crossed paths and long story short, it ended up being the same little boy. That's wild. It was crazy. Work, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those, like, this is, this can't be real type things. Um, and so I think, you know, I had kind of accepted it and gotten to the point of like, we're doing what we need to do and it's going to be fine. But I think my husband was still kind of like silently struggling. Like it was just, um, he's much more of an internal processor than me. Um, and I think he was still pretty like nervous and scared. And so I think that was a big turning point for him to be able to see, um, oh, and, you know, with his implants and sitting at dinner, being a boisterous, crazy toddler, um, and having something like real to connect it to. So the short answer is other people walking the same path is what really gave me hope. <laughs> when did you decide to start sharing? Yeah. Um, so I've always been a pretty open book and I think it's because when I write and share and speak, it helps me process things. Um, so that's just kind of where that's always stemmed from. And then like, you know, being able to help people additionally has always been a great byproduct of that. Um, and so we started sharing, I want to say it was like two or three days after his diagnosis. I actually put something on Instagram because I wanted people to know, um, you know, you just feel funny when people are sitting there, like talking to your baby and everything. And you're like, you can't hear you. Um, and so I posted there and I mean, the outpouring of support and everything was crazy. Um, and then I would say, I think it was about April of 2020. So right as COVID picked up, um, I started sharing on TikTok and I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I just did not understand TikTok at all. <laughs> and so I was just kind of like fumbling through that, um, trying to figure it out. And like my videos started gaining traction, which I was like, Oh, I don't know. It's TikTok. This happens to everybody. Like, I didn't really realize that it doesn't necessarily. Um, and so we started growing pretty rapidly on there. And it became this form of just being able to both connect with other parents going through similar things, um, but also educate, you know, people who maybe don't have kids or who have nieces and nephews or just, you know, on the various components of being being deaf, using sign language, having cochlear implants, having hearing aids. Um, so that's where it really took off. And then shortly after that, um, kind of began posting similar things on Instagram and that really began to grow as well. Um, and then, yeah, even YouTube and Facebook now has Facebook reels. So those have both been, um, growing as well. And it's just, it's been crazy to kind of see the amount of people that care and like to kind of, you know, like they feel like they have a connection to us and to Cooper and, 
as a mom, like that's just, it's, you love to see people loving your kids. And, you know, obviously there's been negative comments and interactions. Um, for the most part, I just delete and move on. Um, there can be a lot of divide in the deaf community when it comes to cochlear implants um, and speech versus using only sign language. Um, so that's been something I've had to learn to navigate too. So share um, a little bit about that. Talk about that. Yeah. So, aware. and I always like to preface it by saying like, I am fully speaking from my experience as a hearing mom to a deaf child. Like I am in no way speaking from a deaf community standpoint. Um, so before kind of venturing into this, um, the only real exposure that I had to, I guess, the deaf community was by watching Switched at Birth, which was a show that was on when I was um, in high school that followed a deaf teenager and her hearing, I think it's like her stepsister or something. But um, so, you know, a little bit familiar, but not really. And so it was kind of alarming to like, I think right after we had posted that Cooper was a cochlear implant candidate because you have to go through a process to get to that point. Um, I got just like a scathing comment from somebody on my personal Facebook, which was weird. Like it wasn't even something that had been like posted super publicly. Um, basically legitimately saying like, you probably wouldn't have loved him if he wasn't an implant candidate. Oh. And it was just like my, yeah. And it was like my first, you know, now I have legs to stand on and I would absolutely push back on that. At the time I was just like, oh my gosh, like, what is this coming from? Um, and luckily, so my husband's cousin, aunt, and their kids are actually all deaf, um, which is not connected to like Cooper's Warnberg syndrome. It's just kind of a funny coincidence. And so she, they've been um, great. They use primarily sign language, um, speak a little, but don't use hearing devices, do some lip reading. So they've been really helpful in kind of navigating that and giving, you know, like a, a graceful approach to like, this is why, and this is how. Um, but the main thing that it comes down to is that the people who are very, very proud of being deaf, because there is, there's so much pride in the deaf community, um, are afraid or nervous or, you know, just upset that their language might kind of be lost eventually because of technology. Um, there's, like I said, there's just so much pride rooted in it. And that's what I've gathered, you know, from my hearing standpoint. And that's why it's been important to me to expose Cooper to both spoken language and American sign language and kind of let him take the lead, but still keep both um, as options. And I think that's, I think that's why, you know, we've, for the most part, don't get those comments anymore because I make it very clear that we use sign language. Um, and so, but at the beginning, yeah, that was unexpected. <laughs> And how long did that take you to learn sign language? Was it? Oh, I'm still learning. I, I mean, we started using like simple signs with him right away. Um, probably would have, even if he was hearing just because babies can actually like comprehend and use sign before they can verbalize. Um, so we did that. I did a couple, like sort of just online at your own pace courses. And then Minnesota actually has a deaf mentor program where they match you with a deaf adult and they come and do like house visits. Obviously we were kind of during COVID. So some of it was on zoom um, worked with her for probably almost two years. And then I am actually currently taking ASL one through a community college. Um, so it's been a long process. I am in no way like fluent by any means I can get by for sure. Um, but it's something that I really enjoy. Yeah. And I think it should be like another, you know, another language that I think it is right offered in the colleges as another language that you can. Yeah. Learn. Even some high schools now. Yeah. And how young can, um, 
cochlear implants be, you know? Yep. Um, so from my understanding, the youngest, the youngest they'll typically do it is around six months, but the average is more like between nine months and a year. Um, so I know, I mean, I'm in Minnesota and I know the Mayo will do six months. Um, Cooper was originally scheduled for when he was a year, but then COVID happened, some stuff happened and we actually moved up. So he was nine months when he was implanted. Um, and then 10 months when they were turned on, they have, they wait like three to six weeks in between for the swelling to go down and things to heal. And he's doing good now. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, so they've been, July was two years that he's had those activated. Um, he, I mean, he can hear a whisper. He can hear birds. He can hear, he hears more than I do sometimes. Um, and I think it's almost easy for people to forget like that he's even deaf to an extent. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's amazing what technology can do. And it's been, it wasn't like, you know, turn them on and that's how it was. There's a whole process called like mapping where they have to like work up the volume, work, tweak the like programming, change things. And so at first it was tons and tons of appointments and follow-ups. Um, so now we go to the audiologist about twice a year. Wow. Well, that's, that's not too bad, right? I mean, no. Yeah. Especially when you're driving two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. No. Now I want to ask a question too. So I happened to catch as we were researching for um, interviewing you, um, you talking about uh, special needs. And I actually loved your t talk about um, the phrase special needs. So um, I did it because, and I'm going to let you explain your thoughts on it, but um, it resonated with me. And I, you know, because I get a lot of questions all the time, like why the magazine is called because we're parenting special needs. So go ahead and give it, if you don't mind sharing your take on the phrase special needs. Yeah. Um, I think it's been one of those things that like, at first I wasn't really sure if that was like the right phrase to use. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like because Cooper does so well with his implants, like, does he really have special, you know, like it, it's been kind of a process to get to the point of like, is this a good label? Is this an appropriate label? Um, I think it's kind of the same concept as disability. Some people use that term and are fine with it. Some people prefer not to. And that's kind of what I've gathered when it comes to special needs as well. Um, for me, I think that it is, it does a good job kind of encompassing everything because it's true. Like he has needs beyond those of other children when it comes to being in a classroom, when it comes to, you know, um, education in general, he's going to need more visual aid. He's going to need to have a teacher wearing his FM system so he can more clearly hear her voice he might need an interpreter, um, sign language interpreter. And so I think somewhere along the way, there became like this negative connotation or like, you know, kids made it into something mean by, you know, calling other kids special and like having that connotation. And I think that's where people get mixed up in it. Um, or it being, you know, having that like negative spin, but I think when it comes down to it, it just means equipping kids who have that extra, whatever it may be, maybe it's dyslexia, maybe it's a physical need. I think it just is about making sure that they're equipped to have the same chances and opportunities as their peers. Right. No, I agree. And I, I feel that's very similar. I mean, I think it's kind of like, to me, it's a, a way of just saying, I don't have to explain every little detail of what's going on with my child, because that could be a laundry list in my case, but you know, it just kind of, I think it makes you on guard to be watchful for whatever, you know, so that you can yeah. be accepting of whatever's going on and like, you know, treat it. So, yeah. So, well, um, okay. So tell us about your book. You wrote a book too. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, tell us about inclusion. I know you wrote the book about inclusion, but go ahead. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts. Yeah. So it's actually my second book. My first book I wrote more aimed towards parents of kids with hearing loss or who are deaf. And so that's been out for like two years. That's more nonfiction. Um, but as you know, things on social media have grown, it's become clear that like my platform is kind of beyond just kids with, or parents of kids with hearing loss and who are deaf, um, or even deaf adults. Like it's kind of become special needs as a whole, um, or just kids with, you know, varying abilities, their parents kind of that same path. Um, and so as I got started kind of thinking about it, you know, I had a friend who had mentioned like, oh, no, you wrote, you know this book, how about you write a kid's book? And I was like, I could do that. <laughs> um, and, but it was kind of like, you know, what am I, how am I going to spin it? Who's it going to really apply to? Um, and for me that like cochlear implant and being deaf and everything, it's such a specific niche and audience. Like I knew that it wouldn't probably have the potential to reach as many people as something else would. And so as I was just kind of driving and brainstorming one day, it just like popped into my head, like, okay, well, I have this following, I have all these parents of kids with different diagnoses, like why not do sort of an ABCs of inclusion book and have each letter actually be the name of the child. Like that was important to me to do it like person first. Um, so like C is for Cooper and then talk about being deaf versus being D is for deaf, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, it just kind of blossomed from there. Um, I'd had a friend I went to high school with who I knew had written a book recently. So I kind of talked to her um, and she had worked with a publishing company out of the Twin Cities that she absolutely loved. Um, so I just kind of reached out to them and pitched the idea and they loved it. And it was kind of off the ground running from there. I had to find all of the kids, which, you know, like the first half was probably easy. The second half was hard because I wanted... Um, obviously like equal representation between like genders and race and just having that diversity in there was important, but then also not repeating diagnoses from one to another. So towards the end, it was just like this big puzzle, but we got it. Um, and I got kids for every letter and then it was, yeah, kind of collecting information from parents and pictures. And my illustrator did a phenomenal job. Like I, I, it couldn't have come out better. Um, each of the illustrations looks so much like the real child. It just blows my mind. Um, I have to get a book. I love children. So that's awesome. Yeah. And so I had, um, you know, self-funded everything up until a couple months ago and I launched a Kickstarter, which, um, allows people to like pre-order their copies, but also like, you know, support the book financially for the printing aspect. And so I had set a goal in there of like $10,000 and, you know, it was like, I'll be happy if I make that. And I think I ended at like 65,000, like it just kept growing and growing. And so it was a really cool experience. You know, that was a month long and it was just like, it was a lot of work, but it was awesome. Um, and so we, the book is going to print super soon. I finalized everything. Um, I think we're printing like 5,000 copies for the first run because of how many were ordered on the Kickstarter alone. And then obviously placed wherever else they're going to be placed. Um, so yeah, it's been. Will I be able to get one if I want to order it, or is it? Yeah, right? so the the pre order is closed right now, but it'll once it's um once they're like printed and here, they'll be up for order again. Okay. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. First book called. Uh, Hello Holland. So it's um based off. You've probably heard the Welcome yeah. to Holland poem. Yeah. So that poem has always spoken really deeply to me. I actually got a tulip 
tattoo. It's hard to see with my blur. Um, because yeah, it just, that just meant so much to me early on. And so I actually had, uh, some people find fault with that. I mean, people can find fault with anything. They find fault with that point, but I, yeah, I, I agree. It's just a different path, right? Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, but also hard, <laughs> not what you expected. Yes, also hard. Yes, it's not easy. So now um, Cooper will need, well, he will need additional help with um, school or education and that kind of stuff just because of, or you don't know yet. He's only three, right? He's only three. Um, but we, so we live in rural Minnesota. So I was kind of nervous about that aspect because um, there's obviously not like a deaf and hard of hearing school or anything like that here. Um but we've actually been connected with our early intervention team literally like since the day he got his diagnosis, um, have worked with them ever since they've been incredible. Like I cannot say enough good things. I feel like we're in such good hands. Um, and there's actually quite a few other kids in the district who also have cochlear implants. So it's not like a new thing to them by any means. Um, so he already gets that, um, extra time every week. And then we will, once he's like in school, he'll be mainstreamed. Um, his teachers will probably just wear the microphone that I wear in a lot of my videos, um, on TikTok, And that just allows their voice to go directly to his implants instead of, so it kind of cuts out a lot of that middle ground noise. Um, so just more clarity. And then, you know, if sign language is something that he continues to lean into, he might have an interpreter in classes. Um, but for the most part, he, it should be a pretty typical educational experience. Um, I actually recently did, so I'm a photographer too. I have my own photography business. And one of the seniors I recently did um, had reached out because they they follow and knew who we were and stuff, but she actually has cochlear implants. So she's got bilateral cochlear implants. Um, and it was really cool because my parents were actually like, happened to be in my house when she came over to do the pictures. And it was the first time they had met like an adult with cochlear implants or like someone who could actually speak about it. And my dad was just blown away because you couldn't even like, if you didn't know that she had them, you wouldn't know. Like her speech is so good, her, just everything. And so it's just cool to see that, like, you know, product of the education um, system that we have here. It's, it, I feel like we're in really good hands. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that you're taking care, you're taking advantage of early intervention because a lot of parents won't. I can't think you have anything else you'd like to um, share about that uh, I didn't ask you about. Um... I don't think so. I mean, I guess it's always just important to me to be like, you know, it's easy to sit here now and like speak to the positives and the silver linings and everything. But like, you know, there's still hard times. There's still times where I feel like other three-year-olds are talking so much more clearly and so much more. But then at the same time, it's like, I have parents of typical hearing kids say that Cooper speaks better than their kids. And so I think it's just a reminder that like, nobody's on a perfectly linear path. Like for lack of a better word, everybody's got stuff they're dealing with. Like that's just, and so do kids. Um, and so I think, you know, I just don't want people to like look at a curated version of like where we are now. And that's, that's always important to me too. Like I do, I do share the hard stuff still. Um, and there's been lots of videos where, you know, it's been a hard day and I'm crying and it's frustrating. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing to me is that I just want to continue to acknowledge that that part is okay too. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I think that's important. You're right. Cause I think maybe I kind of, um, myself gloss over stuff and, you know, um, so I appreciate that because maybe that you just inspired me to share a little bit more of the hard stuff because <laughs> we're going through a few things on our own right now with my daughter. So I've yeah. And it's always a fine line too, when it's your kid. Cause it's like, 
you know, especially as they get older and kind of are their own person too. It's like, how much do you share with the world? And that's something that I've struggled with too. Um, in that, you know, I'm just going to have to be open with Cooper as he grows up and he's such an extrovert and he's so social that it's like, I feel comfortable sharing what we share because I don't think it's going to become an issue for him. Like, I think he loved being the center of attention. Um, but that's something too, that like, I think parents always have to be mindful of. I mean, I just got laid into the other day about only sharing my kid for content. And it's just like, you know, people are going to have that view and that's fine. But at the end of the day, like, I know that I'm sharing because I want to make a difference and be. I think that's important. But I also think too, you know, you have to be mindful of asking him too when he gets to, you know. Oh yeah. We had a um, contributor um, years ago that she was an excellent contributor and loved her, all of her articles. Then her son got to a certain age and he's like, no. Yeah. I don't want you talking about me. And that's his right. Right. So um, anyways, but so yeah, you have to be mindful of that they are people and they have, when they get to a point, they have opinions too. So uh, what they want. So anyways, well, listen, <laughs> I can't thank you enough. Thanks for um, sharing out there and getting the word out there about all kinds of stuff. I appreciate it. And the good times, the hard times um, and inclusion and everything. And I'll put your books up there in the links that you sent us. So <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. And um, in case no one has told you today, thanks everyone for being with us. And no one has told you that you are doing a good job. Be good to you. It's hard work. Talk to you soon. Bye.